Today we get to talk about sacrificial giving. Giving in general, sacrificial giving more specifically. If you're visiting with us today, I promise your timing is just bad. Okay, this is not something we talk about all the time. It's not. It's not something we talk about all the time. And, and frankly, whenever the topic of giving comes up on my calendar, um, and, it, and it does, it has to intentionally, I make it come up on my calendar because left to my own devices, this is not something we would ever talk about. Because it always gives me this tinge of worry. And the tinge of worry, frankly, is that this has the potential to drive some of you away. Some of you who already thought in your head, especially if you're newer to the church or newer to a church, um, especially if you've had bad experiences at churches in the past, some of you are predisposed to think that all we really care about is your money anyway. I promise you it's not true. Um, But this is something we have to talk about uh, because, and, and here's the key, nothing has the power to transform your life for Jesus. I know that it sounds cheesy, right? But nothing has the, pa- the power to transform your life for Jesus than re-evaluating the way you think about your resources. That's a bold statement, I know, but it's a necessary statement because Jesus tells us where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's not my statement, that's his statement. He says, you know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. We'll look at that text in a second, but he, but he says, it's, the reason this is so necessary is because where your treasure is, your heart will naturally pull there. Like it is going to be darn near impossible for you to store up treasure somewhere, but have a heart that's completely devoted and dedicated somewhere else. The treasure will always pull your heart back. And so Jesus says, act appropriately. And we're going to talk about that today, and and it's going to make some of us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable, so just know as we talk about it, again, big mirror, I'm talking to myself here too, uh, and we're all in this together, okay? Um, But but here's what we have to do. Let's start with this. I want you to think of, um, fill in the blank. Okay, fill in the blank answering the question of... um, my overall financial goal is, and I've asked some of you this question before, but for everybody, my overall financial goal is, and then you fill in the blank. You don't have to shout it out. Just think in your head. How would you fill that in? Now, the fact that we're at church might skew that for some of you. Maybe not. Um, but if we're, if we're really being honest, when we answer the question, uh, my overall financial goal is, for a lot of us, it's uh, the number one answer, in America anyway, security. My overall financial goal is to have security. Uh, for a few people, my overall financial goal is to enjoy life to the fullest. Uh, my overall financial goal is to experience pleasure. My overall financial goal um, is to leave a legacy for my children and my children's children. Okay? And so there's a lot of ways that we answer the question of, of what is my overall financial goal. And, and listen to me now, I want to tell you something. None of them are necessarily wrong as far as financial goals. Where they're wrong is that when they become your number one financial goal. See, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. There's nothing wrong with um, having pleasure. There's nothing wrong 
with security, and there is certainly nothing wrong with leaving a legacy for your children and your children's children. The problem becomes when I elevate those goals to the top of the list, because what my goals are, well, that dictates what my spending is, right? If my goal is enjoyment, then, then I leverage things. I spend every dollar I have for vacations and experiences, okay? Um, some of you do that. Some of you, your budget is strapped, or, and some of you even save pretty well, but what you're saving for is vacations and experiences. Um, that's not us. And sometimes I feel guilty because it's not us because, you know, kids, you know, we're like, oh, we went to Disneyland and we went there. And like, my kids have seen that on TV. There's a whole channel. We don't need to go there. They could just watch it. <laughs> For some of you, it, it is. It's the future. So, so just about every um, dollar that you can spare, it goes straight into your retirement account, into IRAs, into tax shelters, into other things, planning for that time in your life putting it away so that your kids don't have college debt or bills. For some of you, it's just pleasure in the moment. That's where we stumble. When we stumble with this, that's where we stumble. It's like, yeah, sure, let's go to the movies again. Yeah, whatever, out to eat, fine, no problem. We all, but we all, we all struggle with this a little bit, and, and whatever we say, whatever our financial goal is, whatever we want our money to provide for us, that's where we end up pouring our resources into. The problem with that is that it's not exactly what God had in mind when he blessed you with resources in the first place. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to rethink the question. And the question is this, what would it look like for us to begin operating under the assumption that God has given us everything we have, right, that that's a true statement there. What would it look like if you started operating on the subject that God has given you everything you have and that God has given you everything you have, not so that you could have more, but so that you could give more? And I know, I, I know where your head goes because as soon as I hear me say it, I know where my head goes. I'm like, well, that's pretty selfish, Hans. It's pretty selfish for you to stand up here and tell people, look, you guys need to give more to the church. I get it, okay? But I want you to track through this with me, and I want you to see where this is. And it's not just giving to the church that we're talking about, but it's giving in several different venues um, that, that God has blessed you specifically so that you will be able to do, okay? Uh, and, and we'll walk through this, and, and we'll see, and you can disagree with me when we're done, and we'll still be friends, and it'll be okay. But I need to share with you what the gospel has here, what, what the Bible is telling us about all of this. And it's critical because here's what, and, and I'm sorry, that's the wrong text. That should say Matthew 6. This is verse 20 and 21. It was Thanksgiving week. I was in a hurry and apparently I forgot what I was doing. This says this, store your, this is Jesus talking. He says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will also be. This is Jesus saying very clearly here that there is, there is this tension Okay, between what's temporary and what's eternal. Okay, and that if you invest everything you have, if you invest heavily in the temporary, then guess what happens? It doesn't last. But if you invest heavily in the eternal, then guess what happens? It lingers for eternity. It's like the best return on your investment. Right? If I buy a new car, you know, I mean, we hear this all the time. Any Dave Ramsey fans in here, you, you know this, that when you buy a brand new car, it depreciates, what, 20% when you drive it off the lot. Like, literally, just by signing the paperwork and taking it home, it depreciates 20% in value. And then over the course of the time that you make your payments, uh, that car that was 
$30,000 here um, all of a sudden is worth maybe 10, and it's depreciated so quickly. And that's what happens when we, when we invest all of the resources that God has blessed us with in these temporary, temporal, worldly areas. We'll enjoy them for a time, but ultimately, there's no return on the investment. Even when you save for retirement, ultimately, that has a short window. But God says when you store up treasures for yourself in heaven, where moths can't apparently eat them. What do moths do? They eat holes in stuff, right? Rust kind of corrodes and eats away at things. So where they literally diminish, where they literally are destroyed, thieves literally come in and take them and own them now. What happens is God says, when you store up treasures for yourself in heaven, look, those rewards are eternal. There is no diminishing returns. It is the best investment. And so this is what Jesus is telling us here, and this drives our conversation today about understanding sacrificial giving, understanding what it means, understanding what it's like, okay? Okay? But there's something I need you to know as we get going here, because I think churches mess this up a lot, and, and I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't have you be confused about this. This is too important to me. Your generosity does not equal your salvation. Please, please, please. I, I, I think... Um, historically, there, there have been some churches, some um, denominations, some brands of church, that's my safe way of saying that, that, that have, have kind of had this idea that the more you give, the more secure you were, okay? Or that the more you give, uh, the less worried you have to be about your future, um, and then there's this whole idea of purgatory, which again, I, you're, you're going to struggle to find that in scripture because it's not there, but that the, the more you give, uh, the less languishing there might be in this place of, of uh, punishment and purifying. And you're not going to find anything in scripture about that. Here's how you're saved. Listen to me carefully. You should know this by now. We say this all the time. You are saved by grace through faith. There is nothing that you can do that will boost your salvation. There is nothing that you can do that you can count on in the moment of salvation. There is nothing that you can do that is going to make God say, all right, you're fine. You didn't need Jesus. You were good enough on your own. You are saved by grace through faith. We talk about this a lot. Grace is like the milkshake. Okay? Faith is the straw by which you draw it out and it becomes part of you. That's how you're saved. Not by what you give or what you don't give. But listen to this truth. The fact that you are saved by grace through faith should spur in you a desire to see things the way that God sees them. The fact that you are saved by grace through faith and you've become a new person in Jesus Christ should push you forward to start to see things the way that God does. It should, it should spark this desire to be sacrificially generous in your heart. And if that's where you feel tension today, okay, I'm okay with that. Because you know what? I feel tension there all the time. I feel tension that I think what God has laid on my heart in terms of being generous is not something I always feel comfortable in the moment meeting. And frankly, because of my mismanagement of my resources, the resources God has blessed me with, it's not something I'm always equipped to do in the moment. And that's where we have to grow. 
Okay? But God gives us four principles in uh, Scripture for giving. We're going to go over them. Uh, principle number one simply is this. Your giving is to be a priority. Proverbs 3.9 uh, among many other passages in Scripture, says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, um, uh, with the first fruits of all your crops. See, there's an Old Testament principle of the first fruits. And what that means is that you pay God first, that you give God the first, the best of what you have, and that you're not giving God something called leftovers. How many of you had a fridge full of leftovers after Thanksgiving? Really? Like, come on. How many of you are going to throw most of those away? It's the way it works at our house. We always save food, right? Come on. We don't waste food. We save it with the best of intentions. But then there's leftover spaghetti. There's turkey for the third night in a row. We could order a pizza. Pizza wins, right? Went grocery shop. This is nothing to do with the sermon, but I have to tell you. <laughs> we went grocery shopping yesterday. The reason we went grocery shopping, I'm walking with Aubrey through the store, grocery shopping at the store. Three times, by the way, yesterday before I got it all right. <laughs> walking through the store with Aubrey, going off the list, getting things, having the conversation we're doing this so that when it gets to be dinner time, we don't have to worry about what we're having for dinner. We won't have to just order pizza because we don't have anything to have for dinner. And then we're, we're walking through, just like, you know what we should have for dinner tonight? Pizza. <laughs> Nobody wants leftovers. But what we do is, is instead of making our giving a priority, we tend to throw God some leftovers, if we give it all. And I don't know because I don't involve myself with the giving of the church. I know what comes in and I know what the budget is set at and I know what we spend it on, but I don't know what individuals give or don't give. I don't know what individuals give or don't give. That, that's not my um, business in the church. It's not something I want to know, okay? But what I know is that probably less than half of you give. And of that number... Um, significantly less if you make your giving a priority. I know that just based on the math. I know what the median income is in Vinton, and I, I know how many giving units we have in the church, and I know what the budget would look like if people gave um, as a priority. And, and so I, I get that. I mean, I, I understand what that is. And, and so we don't always understand this idea of making our giving a priority because I, I rarely meet somebody that says to me, I don't want to give to the church. What I, what I do is I meet people that say, I can't give to the church. What that tells me is that they didn't make their giving a priority. It's very rare when I meet somebody that says, well, I, I made my giving to the church a priority, and so now I'm struggling to pay this. But God says in Scripture, you give me the first fruits. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops. Okay, 1 Corinthians 16.2 says it like this, on the first day of each week, you should set aside a portion of the money you've, been, you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once, right? Because when you wait and you see what's left over in your budget when it's all said and done, odds are it will be very little or it'll be nothing at all. And that's honoring God by giving him leftovers and it doesn't work, okay? Principle number two 
is that your giving is to be proportional. Uh, This is one of the many verses that talks about the tithe. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. If you do, this is God making a promise uh, to the nation. If you bring your tithes into the storehouse like you're supposed to, if you do, then I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only time in scripture God asks you to test him, and he does it with your tithe. He says, you give me a tithe, a full tithe, and I will pour blessings out on you that you don't even know. He says, test me in this. But the idea here is that God is asking our giving to be proportional. God could have said in scripture that, look, each one of you is to give this flat numerical amount. Everybody gives $1,000. But he doesn't say everybody gives $1,000. What he says is that you're to give a tithe. Tithe literally means 10%. Okay, he says, so you are to give a tithe. You are to give 10% of what you have. Now, some people will ask the question, is the tithe still good for today? That's an Old Testament principle. Is it still good for today? And I'm going to say yes and no. Okay, the tithe is a great benchmark, but the tithe is never meant to limit you. So here's what I would say to you. If you were asking me earnestly, Matt, what do I do with this? Is the tithe something to follow today? Is that good for today? I would say this. You should tithe. You should get to a tithe. If you're you're not at a tithe, you should work to build yourself up to giving a tithe. And and that should be where you're at. If you're already giving a tithe, then I would say to you is, is that the tithe is not a place where you stop. But that you should always seek to be growing in the grace of giving. Proportionally. Okay? So, so God is not asking um, anybody to carry the weight for anybody else. And unfortunately, that's what happens a lot of times in churches. Probably 80% of the giving in any given church, you know, the good research will tell us that 80% of the giving in any church usually comes from about 20% of the people. Okay? But that's not the way that God intended this to be. God intended everyone to give proportionally so that everyone was sharing the weight of giving. And it... Listen to me, it's not so that you could have more to spend on yourself, but if everybody were sharing the weight in their giving and people continued to give generously, then think about the impact that the church could have in the community. We live in a community. We talk about this all the time, and you're probably sick of hearing it. I don't know, but it wrecks me. I mean, this is the one thing, like I... Carrie will talk about sometimes that when she has trouble sleeping, she thinks it's because God is is trying to, to push her to pray. So it's like, well, I can't sleep, so I'm going to pray, and that that's when she gets some of her best praying done. And so that she, she's convinced that sometimes God is not letting her sleep because she needs to be in prayer for people more. The thing that, that gets me when I'm up in the middle of the night, when I can't sleep and when I decide to pray, the thing that my brain always goes to is people going to hell. I can't get it out of my head. I can't stop thinking about it sometimes. It's there. It burns. It's a reality. And that's not just here in Vinton. That's around the world. But God says, I want you to give proportionally because when you give proportionally, then you're giving. And, and it's, it's, it's the local church for ministry in this area. It's parachurch organizations. It's ministry groups. It's, it's people that are sharing the gospel here and around the world. It's it's. it's clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and visiting the sick and the infirmed and making sure that there is nobody that does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why giving is so critical because it's, it's all-encompassing. It has to do with these things. And God says, I want you to do so proportionally. 
So you can understand the, the parable of the talents is like this. Because a lot of you, you, if you're like me, earlier in my life as a Christian, uh, there was a point where I understood very clearly that I was called to give, a tithe even. You've probably heard me tell you before that Carrie and I's giving story was not awesome. Like our history of giving. Like one day when we were um, married with children and we thought, man, that plate goes around every week and it's embarrassing. We should start putting some money in there. So we started writing our check, and it was not proportional, and it was not a priority. It was um, honestly to assuage us of the guilt and the embarrassment of letting it pass by every week. So that's how we started to give. Uh, And then we started leading a small group, and the topic of giving came up. And there were people that were younger in the faith than we were that were giving um, above and beyond. And we here were you know, just just enough to kind of make people think that we were being faithful. And we kind of had this moment where, you know what, we need to do this better. And so we grew in it a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. But in that growing in it, there were those moments where we thought, man, I don't want to. Like, think about what we could do if we had 10% of our income back. Now, luckily at the time, we didn't make any money, so it was easier. Okay. But, but we're like, what could we do if we had 10% of our income back? Man, think of the things that we could do. Think of the pizza we could order. Think of the movies we could go to. Disneyland would be a very real possibility. And these are, these are thoughts and struggles we had, and I get it. But one of the things that we kept coming back to as we continued to struggle with faithfulness and push through and power through to faithfulness, um, you know, now to the point where we, we enjoy our giving, okay? But one of the things that we kept coming back to was that, you know what? It's not optional. That God doesn't give it to us as an option. God doesn't say, look, if you really feel like you're wired this way, if you've got extra, make sure you share it. God says, no, 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 this is what you're supposed to do. And one of the things in Scripture we come to is the parable of the talents. Parable of the Talents is Jesus telling the story, and he he talks about the master who calls in three servants, and he says, I'm going away, and so here, I want you to to take this, and I want you to do something with it. And the one servant, he gives five talents of silver. It's a lot of money. It was gold, I'm sorry, a lot lot of money. And so the other, he gives uh, three talents of gold, and it's a good chunk of money, and and to the last, he gives one talent of gold, and and, and we we get that he's given each of them um, gold in proportion with their um, ability to manage it, okay? So uh, this guy has a whole lot more ability to manage the resources than this guy, but everybody gets something in proportion of their ability, and he goes away for a while, and he comes back, and and he calls them in to give account of what they did with what he gave them, and the one says, well, look, you gave me five. I doubled it. It's now 10. Well done. In the next next kingdom, you're going to have 10 cities to manage, like, like, here is a reward that comes from that. And he says, well, you gave me five, and I've doubled it. Great. You're going to have five cities to manage. And, and, and he says to the last one, what would you do? He said, well, I buried it in the ground so that no matter what happened, I wouldn't lose it. And he's like, oh, that's awful. Take yours away. Give it to the guy that, that has 10 now because he can manage it well, and, and you're done. And we get this picture that that what pleased the master, what pleases God, that's a parable, so um, it's meant to teach us something, that what pleases God there is that it's all about him anyway. That what he gives us is meant to increase what he has, not to increase what we have. 
So when he gives us wealth, when he gives us resources, what we do with them is about his kingdom. It's to increase his kingdom, not to increase our own. And there's a lesson we learn there. You're like, but I don't want to give. I don't want to. I would like to have that in my pocket, in my account. I get it. But understand the, the reality that when it was given to you, it was given to you so that you could increase the master's kingdom. That is bringing people to the gospel. That is saving people from hell. That is bringing light where there's darkness and hope where there is hopelessness. Hopelessness. Life where there's death. That's what your resources have all been about. Okay, so God didn't design us to be hoarders, but conduits. His generosity is supposed to flow through us. I want you to think in your head right now. I don't need names, but I want you to think. If you had unlimited resources to do so, is there at least one person that you know of that you would bless with a financial gift, a gift of clothes, a month's rent, you'd help them fix their car, you'd maybe even help them get into a cheap automobile, something. If you had unlimited resources, think in your brain, is there somebody that you could bless in a way that would just so clearly point them to Jesus Christ? Because who does that? Who, who gives like that? Well, followers of Jesus give like that. Who's that one person for you? I bet you've got one. I've got several. And what God says is, I gave to you not so that you could keep it all for yourself and increase your kingdom, but I gave to you so that you could be a conduit to show my generosity to the people that need to know it. And God, his generosity is ridiculous. Isaiah 53 tells us all about his generosity. He sent his one and only son to die for you. And you know what the word tells us in Isaiah 53? You know what we read about that? That God was doing it cheerfully. That God was glad in his heart to sacrifice generously on our behalf. And God calls us to do the same thing. But again, we're in a position all the time where we say, well, yeah, I, I, I'd love to bless them. I don't really have the resources to do it. Or it would really get in the way of that purchase I wanted to make. Or the purchase I just made really gets in the way of doing it now. And we've got this messed up. Principle three, giving is to be sacrificial. Uh, in 2 Samuel 24, 24, we have a scenario where David um, is, is, because of his own stupidity, um, a curse has fallen on the land. This is, um, this is at, towards the end of David's um, reign as king. Uh, it's one of the mistakes that he makes. Um, and he counts his fighting men. He does this census. It's making this, this pride. Look at everything I've accomplished. And God is saying, whoa, time out. You haven't accomplished anything. I accomplished everything. And because of what David does, there's a curse on the land. And, and, and so David gets to the point where, where God shows him that if you, if you stop and you make a sacrifice and, and, and this, this uh, offering here, then, then the curse will leave the land. And so David sees the place where the sacrifice is to happen and, and he goes and, and he inquires, hey, I, I need to make a sacrifice to the Lord here. I need to buy this land and I need to buy an ox from you so that I can make this sacrifice to the Lord. And the guy says, man, you're the king, take it. Just have it. And David says, no, 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 no. No, I will not, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David, get this, overpaid for the land and the animal so he could make a sacrifice to God. 
And there's a principle there that, that's, that's shared all through Scripture is that, that giving should be sacrificial. Giving is not necessarily supposed to be something that's simple and easy. But giving is supposed to be something that causes you to sacrifice. That is an unpopular message. That's why giving should be a priority and proportional. Because when I wait till the end and I see what I have left and I I give that to God, that's not sacrificial. That's just accounting. But when I decide, as Carrie and I have struggled with in the past, so I get it if it's a struggle for you, when I decide, you know what, we can't afford that car that we wanted to buy. Let's buy this cheaper car. Or better yet, let's pay to get this crappy one fixed and keep using it because buying this would impede this. That's what we would call a sacrificial gift. We sacrificed something to be able to give it. That's David's point there is I will not offer anything to God that didn't cost me. Okay? Mark 12, 41 to 44, we have this. This is a famous one. This is one you know, I'm sure. But Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. We get the idea that the widow, um, pretty shabbily dressed, uh, a widow in that time is somebody that would not necessarily be able to care for themselves well. Okay, um, uh, the, women didn't work readily, um, and so um, her source of, of provision has died and passed away, and now she's left. Oftentimes, widows were beggars. In fact, that's one of the first things that, that happened in the early church. One of the ways that the early church grew is through the generosity of the people, widows were cared for with dignity, Okay? But this is before that, and so um, rich people are coming, and they're giving their money, and they're giving their money, and it doesn't hurt them or cost them anything. And then all of a sudden, we see this, this, this poor widow comes in, and she drops in two small coins. And probably most people are thinking why, like, two things. Like One is, how stupid are you to give all you have? And two, it doesn't make a difference anyway. Like, like, like how are two small coins going to bring anybody to the gospel? Like, how are two small coins going to make any difference at all? But here's what Jesus says. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, look, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. So Jesus makes this grand point here that, you know what? The value in the gift is how it arrived. Now, there's something I need you to understand there. God does not need your money. Okay? God is not interested in your money. Uh, The word tells us, I joke about it, like I don't even know what a cow costs these days. I don't know. But, But the word tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Like, he is independently wealthy. He does not need anything you have. Everything that exists, exists because God wills it to be. It's all his anyway. He does not need anything from you. What he desires, though, is he gives you so that you can steward on his behalf, and he wants your heart. And so he gives, and he expects you to give 
proportionally and as a priority and sacrificially. Why? Because that's where your heart is, and God wants your heart. And so he's not interested in the amount that you give. What he's interested in is that you give it well, and that you give it with the right attitude and the right heart. Okay? So he's not just saying things when he says, oh, well, you know what? She gave way more than you. He's not trying to guilt them into giving more. He's making this grand statement that the amount isn't what's important. What's important is the heart that's behind it. What's important is the fact that she sacrificially risked everything she had so that she could honor God with her giving, whereas everybody else was like, yeah, I'll give you a little bit of scraps. I'll throw in some leftovers. God says what she gave is worth far more. And it's a significant thing. So, so those of you that are, that are here thinking, well, yeah, I mean, I don't even need to worry about this giving stuff because I don't make enough to make it worth anything. Uh-uh. Listen, kids, teenagers, you get paid, you got a job, you get an allowance, you ought to be giving of it. And it's not because I need your five bucks. It's not because the church needs your five bucks. But it's because God desires your giving to be a priority to be proportional, to be sacrificial. You're like, but man, I really want a new video game. Great, save up for it. But don't let the new video game trump the generosity and the sacrificial giving that God's calling you to. Okay, Because God delights in those who obey even when obedience isn't convenient. And he delights in your decision to obey even when obedience isn't convenient for you. And so I get this question all the time. So listen in here. Because some of you are like, yeah, this is all fine and good, Matt. Giving is great, but I'm leveraged to the hilt. Like I'm living, like every month I don't have enough to pay what I have to pay, so I'm living on credit. Like you really want me to get in on this? Listen to me. Yes. Not because God needs, but because God blesses obedience. He delights in your decision to be obedient. He blesses your decision to be obedient. So you're like, Matt, Matt, should I really give before I pay off debt? Yeah. You should. Should I really give before I start saving? For, yeah. You know why? Because whatever money comes in, the priority of it should be to give the first and the best of it to God. Proportionally and sacrificially. Okay? And finally, <laughs> you should do it cheerfully. Some of you might be like, okay, fine, I'll do it. But I ain't going to be happy about it. But God asks you to be happy about it. God asks you to be cheerful about it. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, look, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Okay, so if you're gonna be like, fine, I'll give because Matt said so, you know what, it's good. Obedience has to start somewhere. When we started giving, it was not because like in our heart we were like, yes, It'll be awesome to have 500 less dollars a month. That'll be cool. No, no, no. We had to start somewhere. But what we've been able to grow in is this, this part where, you know what? We're excited about our giving. And our giving that goes beyond the church when we get to do that is exciting too. Because God says, look, he, he, he desires not people to give out a compulsion, but what his heart wants is your heart. 
Remember, we go all the way back to the beginning in Matthew 6, where God said, I want your heart because where your treasure is, there's your heart. So if I'm begrudgingly giving you a gift, God's like, I don't have your heart yet. Not yet, not all of it. I want all of it. I want your whole heart. Think about this. Christmas is coming. If you give me a gift, well, if somebody gives you a gift, somebody, somebody that you love and somebody that you care about, if they give you a gift and, and, and they give it to you and they're frowning and they're like, here, take this. Because of this present, I didn't have enough money to do what I wanted to do. So enjoy it. What are you doing with that gift? If you're like me, you're giving it back. If you're like some other people I know, you're taking it and throwing it away. Just depends on how irritated you are. We don't want gifts like that because that tells us that somebody's heart wasn't in it. God says, I love a cheerful giver. You know what the word for cheerful there is in the original Greek? Hilarious. God loves hilarity in giving. He wants you to be so excited about it that you just laugh because you just can't believe that you get to do this and to be this generous. Okay? And the reason for that is because your attitude in giving reflects what you find most important. Think of the widow. When I said the widow, you probably had this picture in your head of this very meek, sad-looking woman probably using a cane, stumbling up to, the, to the, the box and dropping in her last two coins and, oh, what will I do next? I might as well just lay down and die. Like, that, that's the picture you have in your head. When I say, oh, the, the poor widow that gave her last two coins, you're thinking, oh, it was tragically awful for, no, 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 Jesus praises her. Jesus, the same Jesus that says I, your, your giving should be sacrificial and cheerful, I, I can guarantee you, she was excited to give. That, that she smiled on her way to the giving box and that she put in her two small coins expectant and joyful and cheerful with hilarity about what God was going to do with the resources that she shared and what God was going to do in her life because of it. Because God loves and responds to cheerful giving. God's mission um, trumps your wants. That's where sacrifice comes in. You sacrifice your wants because the mission is way too important. Okay, and so there's three levels where we give, and I want to encourage you to grow. This is, this is my encouragement to you to grow in your giving. Uh, most of us, before we start giving regularly, we give spontaneously, emotionally. Sometimes I get up early in the morning, and on Comedy Central, they show Scrubs reruns. Anybody here get down on Scrubs? Okay. I used to love Scrubs, and so I'll watch Scrubs reruns. And then, but here's the problem with Scrub reruns on Comedy Central. Every other commercial is like a five, six, seven-minute long Sarah McLaughlin song <laughs> where they show me beat sad puppies. And that for just 68 cents a day, I could save the beat sad puppies. Now, you know how I feel about pets. I don't want them to be beaten and sad. No. And so there's this emotional draw, and this, this is where spontaneous giving happens. It's this emotional plea for you. Give. They, they start, like, I turn it off. 
Like, I'm sad for the animals, but I, I, there's sports on somewhere. But now here's what happens. They've traded. Sometimes they take the animals out and they put in St. Jude's. I'm compelled to watch that. But it's emotional. It's on purpose that it's emotional. Okay? That's how giving usually starts for people. If that's where you are now, that's not bad. That's not bad that God's wired you that way to be an emotional, spontaneous giver. In fact, I want you to be that. But that should be what we call your above and beyond giving. Okay? Strategic. Strategic is this where I'm, I'm starting to tithe or I'm growing into a tithe. Strategic is your on-purpose giving. Okay? Um, this is where I say, you know what? I know I need to give. I need to be regular about my giving. I need, to be, I need to make it a priority, and I need to make it proportional, and I need to get to that. That's strategic. Strategic means you have a plan. It's purposeful. Okay? We have some tools in place to help you with that. There's other places that have tools in place to help you with that, but, but that's what that is. And then uh, level three is sacrificial. That's when I'm giving proportionally. I'm giving uh, strategically, but you know what? There's more that I can do. So I'm going to sacrifice for that. You know what good sacrificial giving is? Sacrificial giving is like when we asked people to pay for this building. I don't know if you know this or not. We'll talk about more about this as we get to the annual meeting. But this building is, um, is one month away from being owned outright by the church. Now, some of you, you're like, okay, I thought the building was already owned by the church. It's okay. But... but However many years ago, seven, eight years ago, uh, when, the, when the, the plans were drawn up for the church and, and the total price tag was $1 million, another quarter of a million to finish the basement, okay, and, and monies were started to be raised uh, to the point now where, where here we go, we, we've got like half a mortgage payment left to make in the month of December and the building will be paid for. That's $1.25 million in about eight, nine years of above and beyond giving, sacrificial giving where people decided, you know what, maybe I shouldn't move right now because of closing costs and a higher house payment. Maybe I won't move yet. Maybe I'll mark that move down a few years down the road so that I can sacrificially give for the work of the Lord. We did a, a campaign at Bethany one time, and, and, and I remember sitting and talking to a lady who was explaining to me, Marion Erickson was her name, and Marion Erickson explained to me, you know what, I'm just not going to retire this year. Like you talk about sacrificial giving, this is a woman who was ready to retire. She was a paraeducator at an at a alternative high school, um, and she was ready to retire. And she said, you know what? No, 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 here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work this year, and I'm going to take the difference between what I would be generating in retirement and what I'll be generating as income, and I'm going to use that to sacrificially bless um, this. That's sacrificial giving. You know what? It's not sacrificial giving when you say, well, you know what? Ooh, Hurricane Harvey happened. I want them to have money. I'll stop giving regularly here, and now I'll dedicate my check over here. Ooh, the building. We need to pay on the building. I'm going to stop giving my check here, and I'm going to start giving it over here. That's giving, and it's good. It's generous, but it's not sacrificial. Sacrificial giving is radical. You know why it's radical? Because there's nobody outside of Christ that will understand it. And frankly, there are very few people in Christ that will get it. Because it will feel crazy to them. But, but that's, 
That's what it is. It's putting off vacations or cars or houses or things or, or putting off purchases or, you know what, we would like to go out tonight, but tonight we're having Campbell's chicken noodle soup because we want to be able to bless the food pantry this month. So all of the money that would have gone out to eat is going to go to the food pantry this month instead. That's sacrificial giving. That's how God's wired you. Okay? So real quick, couple of things. Some of you, if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, Matt, fine, I get it. I want to give, but I can't afford it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to start a plan called the takeoff. This is not mine. This is uh, uh, Art Rainey's. Um, this is his plan that he has for, for developing um, uh, the tithe into your budget over the course of time. And what he would say is start small. Start with 1%. 1% of your giving. In the first couple of months, if you don't give, start at 1%. 1% is a small enough number that you can afford it. It may make some changes in the way that you live and the way you spend the rest of your money, but it's small enough that you can make it. If you already give but not a full tithe, pick somewhere else in the takeoff to start. But the idea being that you can slowly build yourself up. Here's what I would recommend just so that you can help yourself do it. If this is something you choose to participate in, tell someone that you're doing it so they can offer you encouragement along the way, but also use an automatic payment system. Um, the church offers, we, we do EFT transfers. Uh, a lot of you use the online giving, but something so that it comes out automatically so that you're not tempted to backslide on that. Okay? But it's called the takeoff. So I'd encourage you, if, if you're not there, start. Grow in that. See what God does. Okay? Uh, the second thing is this. If you are giving a tithe, then I want to encourage you to go deeper. Don't stop. And I'm not saying, well, you should just give more to the church. Hey, listen, if you want to give more to the church, that's great. Nobody's going to tell you no. But there are lots of organizations to give to. There's mission organizations. We as a church support several uh, missionaries or what we call parachurch organizations. They're not for profit, and they're about the gospel. Supporting them. Adopt kids. Uh, the Haiti team. Uh, we'll be having uh, an adoption day where they'll have some kids in Haiti at the place that they minister that, that you can adopt. Uh, it's kind of a monthly agreement that you make, and that adoption of them, uh, it's above and beyond giving, and it goes to help them get so many hot meals a day and their school supplies and um, their tuition so that they can go to school regularly. Some places, you, do, you know, it's, it's clean water. I mean, clean water is a big deal, um, but not everybody has it. And so there's some, this is why we say, look, that God gave you not so that you could have more, but so that you could be more generous, that you could give more. There are so many things that we take for granted that the world struggles without. Okay? And, and, and Paul tells us about this in 2 Corinthians 8. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, here's what he says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Paul tells them, look, your, your faith is growing and that's awesome. Your faith is growing and that's good. But part of your growing faith, part of your growing to be more and more like Jesus is continuing to grow in this gracious act of giving. And so that's the call that we have. Okay? So as we, as we get ready to close, again, there's nothing earth-shattering here. There's probably nothing you didn't know, but these are the principles that they lay out in Scripture to be generous. Okay, and a couple of steps to help us be generous. Okay, um, and, and it comes down to this. Surrender is the key. Make your giving a priority. 
Do you have a plan for regular giving to the church? It's necessary. Without a plan, it won't work. Without a plan, it's not a priority. Okay? And is your giving sacrificial and cheerful? Right? The key to that, <laughs> the key to sacrificial giving, it's sacrificial living. You can't be a sacrificial giver unless you are willing to live sacrificially. That means you, on purpose, go without something that you would like so that you can bless other people with things that help them and point them to Jesus. Okay? Now, as we close the service, we get ready. We'll have a couple more songs. We'll collect the offering here in a minute. But here's what I want you to do. If you're visiting with us today... Um, you're under no obligation to give in the offering, but, but you know, your, your card at the bottom of, of your, your bulletin, this tear-off sheet, um, consider that your offering for today. Um, throw that in there and, and give us a record of your visit and stop by the Welcome Center after the service and we'll have a gift for you, our way of saying thank you for joining us, okay? Um, but if you're feeling compelled to start, maybe it's to start the takeoff, Maybe it's to, to maybe, maybe you're there, but maybe it's to be generous with other people in the community. You know, sometimes what's it, it's just nice to be able to set money in your budget aside so that you can be generous when the opportunities arise. And here's what I promise you. You know those people that I had you think of in your head? If you've set money aside to be generous with people when the opportunities come, I promise you they will come fast and they will come furious. It'll be a conversation you're having at work with somebody who's struggling to buy Christmas presents. And you know what you'll get to say? You know what? That's hard. I get it. God loves me, and he's blessed me, and he tells me that I need to be generous with other people, and I would love to share that with you. You know, it's somebody who's struggling to get their car fixed, to get where they need to get for the holidays. And you're able to say, all in the name of the gospel, not, hey, man, I'm really awesome, so I've got some money I can loan you. But because you've set aside money to be generous, you can say to them, you know what? Oh, God loves you so much, and he wants you to be with your family during Christmas. And he's blessed me so that I can help you. I mean, imagine the opportunities that you could have if you make the decision and you're intentional. Okay? So if you're making a decision, if you're feeling compelled to say, you know what? I need to start setting some aside so I can be above and beyond generous. Just write that down on the card. You know, nothing elaborate. If, you're, if you've decided, I'm going to start the takeoff today. Like, I need to get that started. Write that down, throw that in there. Um, just so that we can be praying for you as you try to do those things, okay? To ask the ushers to come forward, ask the praise team to come forward, uh, and, and let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all the ways that you bless us. We thank you for the fact that you are a giving and generous God. We thank you that you were pleased to give us Jesus, that it was sacrificial and that it cost and it stung and it hurt, but you were pleased to do it because in your heart is generosity. And Father, we acknowledge that you have given us so much, but not so that we can have and we can hoard, but so that we can be conduits, that we can be stewards of what you've given us, that we can use it in a way that magnifies you and builds your kingdom. Father, help us to have hearts that are cheerful and generous. God, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you. Amen.